Hello. Thank you for tuning in to Salad, the AdWorks podcast. Uh, for those of you who don't know, AdWorks is a student-run advertising agency on ASU's campus, and we're putting together this new podcast. This is episode two. Um, my name is Zach. I'm a copywriter within AdWorks, and with me here is Trent, who is the vice president of AdWorks. Hello. How are you, Trent? Oh, I'm good. How are you doing, Zach? I'm doing well. Nice. Uh, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Always happy to be here. Once again, we're in Trent's house, so... It is nice to have a home, so that's mainly why I'm happy to be here, but the podcast is nice, too. Uh, starting off here, we're going to talk a little bit about what we uh, discussed in AdWorks uh, this last week, which actually had a little bit to do with you, Zach, didn't it? Uh, mm-hmm. We had him talk about brainstorming, which is kind of a dirty word sometimes and sometimes not an exciting uh, little thing to do, but if you do it right, it can be very beneficial. Um, so, Zach, how do you do it right? <laughs> I feel like I now have the power to deliver the right answer, but honestly... There are a lot of people listening. <laughs> <laughs> the truth is, there's no perfectly right way to do brainstorming. However, there are a lot of different tactics that you can use mm-hmm. um, to brainstorm better. Okay. The reason that this research came about and the reason that I actually invested into this was because the truth is that a bad brainstorming session can actually leave you and your team worse off than not brainstorming at all. Oh, yeah. And that was something that really shocked me at first. It's yeah. something that um, I sort of took to heart when I was first looking into this whole situation um, and kind of utilized that to drive all of the research I did is how do you okay. mitigate that bad from happening? How do you make sure that people don't walk out of a brainstorm feeling too discouraged about what they did? Definitely. Um, and so there's a couple problems that can happen in a brainstorming session that you need to address right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and they usually are problems such as groupthink, which is when the group kind of converges on a singular idea Okay. Um, it has a lot to do with like social pressure. So if you've got a lot of people in the room that all think one idea is a good idea, just kind of get be... stuck down that one path. Exactly, exactly. They they might get stuck down that one path, or someone might be uh, afraid to speak up. They okay. might not want to to share their own mind because they're afraid of being judged by the group. Makes sense. So it tends to get you to converge on a singular idea that might not be the best idea. Okay. Also, similar to that is idea fixation, mm-hmm. which is when someone spews out an idea at the beginning. And instead of spewing out more ideas from different voices in the room, you focus on that first idea, you fixate on that first idea, okay. and you start trying to make it better or worse. Okay. or make or it work, up, essentially. Yeah, you try to make it work before you even hear any of the completely different ideas. And of course, there's social loafing that can happen as well, which is when one person in the group, which I think is... everyone in college knows social I was loafing. Say, which has probably been me <laughs> at one point, <laughs> um, doesn't pull their weight necessarily because they're they just agree with with whatever anyone else in the room is saying. So those are some of the main problems with brainstorming. And the reason I started doing this was to figure out how to try and fix that and how to get over that. Definitely. So what kind of goes into a proper brainstorming session then? Yeah. Um, First of all, the best way to start is to, to you know, lighten the mood, to start mm-hmm. with something fun. Okay. Um, I like so, fun. Yeah, exactly. And there are a ton of different ways you can do this, and it really depends on the... Uh, the room. You really need to know your team. You need to know the room, know the environment in order to make the best decision about this. But there are a bunch of different ways to do it. Um, one of them that I really like is brainstorming bad ideas. This okay. is something that okay. I had absolutely never thought of before doing some of this research, but it was something that was so fascinating and almost like a no-brainer after you saw it happen. Um, or after I saw some of the elements of what it can do. I don't okay. know. You know what I mean? Like, in that sense. So um, bad in the sense of you get the bad ideas out to lighten the mood, but along that way, someone might actually say, hey, maybe that could work if we did this instead? Yes, okay. exactly. And it, it you you approach it with a 
a open mind completely. Okay. Like, it's not like you're trying to have, like, a good, bad idea. Like, they can be the most Terrible horrible ideas. ideas that you could think of for this okay. brand. Um, and, and that's great. The point is to make people laugh, to lighten the mood, to get people excited, and to, to start working their minds. Okay. And uh, something that can come out of it that is usually unexpected is sometimes a bad idea that you might have um, really sparks something in one of the other people in the brainstorm okay. and can turn into a really good idea. Um, and so it's a really great way to, to really kind of start out and to get people's minds flowing and, and get the laughs out, you know, right. get the laughs out of the room and get people excited. And about so it. you mentioned an example of that in the meeting that I thought was pretty cool. Do you want to share that with, with them? Sure. Um, uh, full disclosure, I have no idea if this is what actually happened, but it most likely, yeah, and it most does? likely was That's not. That's life. But it's one of those things where I thought about it and I was like, this very well could have been a result of this. Um, the example I used was REI and REI's opt outside campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, approaching that brainstorming session for Black Friday, the the team at the agency could have gone into that brainstorming session and started out brainstorming bad ideas, of which they might have sat down and said, all right, we're going to start by brainstorming these bad ideas. What would be a horrible idea about selling products on Black Friday? I got it. Completely shut down. Bingo. Exactly. <laughs> Someone might have said, we should shut down all our stores. That would be the stupidest way to make yeah. sales on Black Friday. Uh, fast forward to a couple years, and it's been one of the most successful Black Friday oh, campaigns we've successful. ever seen. And that's something that could have started as a bad idea. But those are the type of things that you're looking for. Yeah. I think that's like, who knows if that's actually what happened, but it's a good way to kind of simplify it, I guess, you know. Um, but yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, and so... Also, sticky notes are your friends with brainstorming, right? Yes. Okay, and now why is that? Exactly. That's what I was going to get into next. Writing is is like the best way to, to have a great brainstorming mm-hmm. session because um, it gets rid of a lot of those issues that I addressed earlier. If you start out with sticky notes and, and say everyone in the brainstorm session gets five sticky notes and you yeah. ask each person to write down five original ideas, um, it eliminates groupthink because everyone has to write down everything before they talk out loud. Mm-hmm. It eliminates idea fixation because you have five times the number of people in the room worth of ideas to go through. Um, and it also eliminates social loafing because you ask everyone in the group to actually write down yeah. five ideas. And even if they don't get to five, they've still written down a couple. Exactly. Right. So you're getting a lot more productivity from your brainstorming session by starting with the writing. Okay. Also, from that point forward, you can then have a member of your brainstorming team, or maybe it's someone that's not actually in the brainstorm, aggregate all those uh, different responses into like a Google form or something and keep it anonymous. Sure. That way, when you're critiquing the different ideas, there's no personality associated with those ideas. So mm-hmm. maybe your boss is in the room and also a, a, like a junior copywriter is in the room. And that way, the junior copywriter's ideas won't be, won't carry less weight than the boss's ideas do just because the boss is the one that wrote them. Because you will have no idea who wrote what. Yeah. So it mitigates a lot of the concerns with unsuccessful brainstorming and also boosts your brainstorming session to a different level of productivity that you wouldn't get otherwise. And, and after you've started with the writing, that's when you start talking through the ideas. Um, and there's a couple different ways you can go about doing that. You can ask what if questions. So you mm-hmm. take your idea and say, well, what if we looked at it this way? What if we used blue instead of red? What if we used yeah. a girl instead of a Trimming man? it down, you know what essentially I mean? kind of getting to the heart of that idea. Exactly. Yeah. It's about chiseling it down and, and, and looking at it from different ways. That makes sense. And, I mean, I definitely see the merits of that. I mean, I, I know the previous agency I turned that, you know, did that a lot and obviously had great success with that. So I think it's a really beneficial way to do things. And, I mean, for an industry professional, that could look like having them in a room, writing them down, then kind of collecting them. You know, but even 
you know, for the students listening, even just kind of, I think, I think it's important too, right, to have kind of an impartial uh, mediator essentially to collect them and compile them. And so even just having like the project manager be the person that's just going to collect them and then mm-hmm. aggregate them is very important yeah. too. So you can have it at a small scale or at a big scale too, which is nice because you're still just looking for kind of an equal contribution of ideas from everyone, which yes, is pretty cool. Exactly. And, and, you know, kind of going on with those cool ideas here, uh, here at AdWorks and here at Salad, we like to kind of dish up some exciting uh, ads for you all to talk <laughs> about. And, uh, you know, we kind of view it as the dressing of the, of the podcast really that ties everything together. So um, I'm going to talk about an ad I saw recently that I thought was very cool, and then we'll have Zach chime in as well with one of his. Most definitely. Um, he always chickens out, you know, and wants to go second, which that all makes sense in about three oh minutes if you're still goodness. listening. Uh, <laughs> so what I want to talk about is Comcast and NBC. So NBC is, um, or Comcast rather, is the parent company of NBC, and NBC, as you know, is hosting the Olympics, not city-wise, but network-wise in the U.S. And so what they did is they were creating ads uh, in partnership with an agency called 72 and Sunny. And what they did was pretty cool and not something that you could do a couple Olympics ago when everything was broadcasted live. So it's kind of cool. It's a little bit of a changing of the times. That's why I wanted to bring it up. But um, they had uh, an ad featured around Jesse Diggins, who was one of our Olympians at the Olympics this year. And uh, she uh, had just won her competition, and they were planning to do a, um, a commercial around her already. But once they saw that she won the gold medal at this competition in really dramatic fashion, uh, in fact, there's a very uh, dramatic, uh, I guess, live call of it that is very funny, but also very inspiring to watch. The passion in the announcer's voice is very passionate, which is which incredible. I aspire to have that level of passion. You know, he is as so of, excited, yeah. and it is it is awesome. Please look up the the finish. Um, but it's amazing. And the event that she won in is uh, cross country skiing. Right. Thank you. Yeah, and and so. What 72 and Sunny did is they saw, you know, obviously because this happened earlier, you know, over in South Korea and before it was aired here in the States. So they saw that she wanted, like, I think a time span of five hours or so. <laughs> they decided, okay, let's take this footage of her winning live, splice it in this ad. It'll make the whole ad have a great emotional appeal and tie in. It'll feel a lot better. And so it was really cool. They managed to get this all together, get the approval, get this all spliced in and be ready to go by the time it aired in the States. So people saw her win. They went to commercial break. Then they immediately see the commercial with Jesse Diggins. They see her in her small town growing up, kind of the line about how it doesn't matter where you come from and, you know, you're growing essentially along the way. And then they splice in as kind of the emotional payoff of the the ad. They splice in her winning the the Olympic gold medal, which was super cool. I thought, you know, it it really came across as genuine and and just had a nice tie in that, you wouldn't normally see, and it's cool because that's something that wouldn't have been able to have been accomplished uh, six, ten years ago, right? Oh, yeah. Um, so it's just this kind of cool use of new technology. Yeah, they definitely utilize the technology to the max in this one. But on that point, it was it was so cool to, to just watch the video because the video that they, they show on Adweek, which reported on the, um, mm-hmm. the ad, um, it shows the broadcast. So it shows the oh, end yeah. of the broadcast and you watch her win the race. And then it immediately cuts to commercial break. And in the commercial that you're watching, you see her winning the race. And if you were watching in the States during primetime when the Olympics aired in the States, it literally happened almost like it was in real time. Like it would have, I didn't see it live, but it would have been mind boggling, mind boggling to me to see her 
win the actual race and then immediately in a commercial directly following yeah. that hear the the announcer saying that she won and, and kind of hear that same footage almost like a deja vu type experience right mm -hmm. afterwards and it was it was shocking and it and props to 72 and props to nbc and comcast to yeah. for getting that together so quickly but it really does oh, emphasize a, what you yeah, can do with it was technology. a great use of technology right and i mean the downside of technology is sometimes things can go bad right uh, so that happened with KFC and their uh, <laughs> new partner, DHL. Uh, and they essentially ran out of chicken uh, overseas in Europe, uh, in the UK. So, Zach, do you want to talk about that? Yes. <laughs> this is where the chicken tie-in comes in, <laughs> by the way. As Trench just said, KFC in the UK uh, ran out of chicken. Um, and rather drastically they, uh, ran out of chicken up. as well. Oh, my God. <laughs> they clucked up. Um, anyways, they had to close, I believe it was like 700 or 800 oh, of yeah, their 900 huge. stores. It was, it was a huge chicken shortage. Just shut down. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of these KFCs did not have any chicken anymore. Um, and like, like Trent said, KFC did something about that. So they released an ad in the newspaper. It was a full page ad in the newspaper. <laughs> um, and it was kind of just an apology note. So it reads, we're sorry, a chicken restaurant without any chicken, it's not ideal. Huge apologies to our customers, especially those who traveled out of their way to find we were closed. And endless thanks to our KFC team members and our franchise partners for working tirelessly to improve the situation. It's been a hell of a week, but we're making progress, and every day more and more fresh chicken is being delivered to our restaurants. Thank you for bearing with us. So that's what the the uh, the apology actually said. But with this apology it was, was a nice an image. image. Yeah. And it was an image which was the KFC bucket, the one that we all know and love, um, that had the face of the colonel on it, red and white. But instead of saying KFC, the letters were rearranged to read FCK. Um, so if you if you insert a U in between the F and the C, it takes on a whole new meaning. Yeah. Very hilarious, very funny, oh, right on incredible. brand. And obviously they got a bunch of media coverage because of this. And like I said, it fits perfectly in with what KFC has been doing. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's just a funny little nod to, to apologize. And it's obviously it happened very quickly. It was reactionary. Um, it's the they perfect just had PR stuff. Exactly. It's, it's really the perfect PR stuff. So now people so are laughing senses. about that. You know? mm -hmm. And they're kind of forgetting the fact that, yeah. like, yeah, KFC, most of the KFCs in the UK actually ran out of chicken. It, exactly. Now it's like, it's, first of all, it's such a bizarre thing, like a chicken shortage, right? <laughs> you think it'd be a gas shortage? <laughs> Like, or some like, kind of natural disaster, <laughs> you know, it's like, and now instead of thinking about that, I'm busy wondering how I spent my entire life not realizing that you can't spell the F word without KFC in it, <laughs> you know, it's, it's brilliant. It's, it's so brilliant. <laughs> and that's one of those things that is, it could not be more on brand. Yeah. Like they literally just rearranged Kentucky Fried Chicken to spell something else. Like it is perfectly on brand. It's extremely funny. Um, and it was timed flawlessly. And the and, funny thing is, you know, when... When society is wiped out hundreds of thousands of years from now and the archaeologists find the KFC bucket, they're going to find the FCK bucket. <laughs> and the entire history is going to be marked down as the FCK chicken company, you know? It's oh, just, my goodness. It's amazing. So, yeah, my ad of the week goes to, goes to KFC's apology letter because they, in the best of fashions, admitted that they effed up. And if you don't think that losing chicken is a big deal... You are wrong, first of all. But second of all, people <laughs> agree with me because the police of that area actually had to go to Twitter asking to not contact us about the hashtag KFC crisis because it is, quote, not a police matter if your favorite eatery is not serving the menu that you desire. So with that... Oh, my goodness. People were apparently losing their minds. 
One, someone also said, I've had to go to Burger King because they were frustrated that KFC was closed. So people were really serious about their KFC in the UK. And, and the fact that so many of their stores were closed was a big deal. Oh, yeah. And KFC handled it flawlessly. <laughs> and uh, kind of going off of that, you know, great agencies create great work, right? And that was done by Mother in their London branch. Um, but kind of going off of some other agencies that have created great work this year, we're going to kind of wrap things up today with a talk about Ad Age's uh, A-List. Now, Zach, do you kind of want to tell us a little bit about what that is? Sure, yeah. So every year, Ad Age comes out with an A-List, which is essentially a list of the top 10 agencies. It's A-List of them. Yeah, yeah. it's an A-List. I, I see you did that. It's A-List. <laughs> Don't think I was going to let that slide. It was good. <laughs> oh, gosh. It's a list of the top 10 agencies from the previous year. Uh, Ad Age just released this week's, or excuse me, this year's list this week. Um, and on it, in order from the number one agency of the year to the number 10, or slash tied for 10 agency of the year, are number one, Wyden and Kennedy, number two, McCann, number three, VML, four, Johannes Leonardo, five, Anomaly, six, RGA, seven, Laundry Service, eight, 360i, nine, 72 and Sunny, and 10 was a tie between Droga 5 and Mullen Low. Now, I know that a lot of those names might not mean much to a lot of you. <laughs> Hopefully they do, and, and some of you might know a lot of them, but if you didn't, that's okay. We're going to touch on just a couple highlights from things that we noticed on the list. Definitely. So, yeah, I guess we'll start off with uh, number one on the list, Wyden and Kennedy. Uh, they had an incredible year. They actually had their best financial year in, their, I think, their 23-year history, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they kind of set the tone for that list, right? I mean... You know, we're not going to dive into what each of them did and all that, but generally, you know, the theme of this is the agencies that made this list recognized that something wasn't working with the current agency model and developed new and innovative... Yeah, I can't believe I butchered that word considering I go to ASU, but they <laughs> developed new and innovative ways to kind of reapproach the business model of advertising <laughs> agencies and find business success. So what Wyden and Kennedy did is they, they actually added, expanded their leadership team from a small group to actually encompassing people from all of their yeah. offices worldwide. Wasn't it like from nine to 20 something it, or something it, it like that? It might have been even smaller. It might have been like six to 23 or something it was, like that. It was that. a big jump. They, they substantially increased their, their leadership team. Which you might think that, you know, adding more people into a room that's trying to make decisions might be a bad thing, but clearly it worked for them. And what they did was um, they kind of took the bull by the for- horns here and recognized that the economy is changing. There's this whole sharing economy. There's this new kind of business style is coming in, and they just went right after that kind of business. So they've got Lyft. They've got Airbnb. They did work for Spotify. Um, what else? They did, well, they do KFC and Old Spice, right, which mm-hmm. is all hip millennial brands at this point. Mm-hmm. And what's cool, too, is they actually even – Oh, they did Dilly Dilly. You can't forget that. <laughs> dilly Dilly. Dilly Dilly. And they, they <laughs> invested in an agency in Austin, too, to try and help build up other independent agencies. Um, so really, they kind of set the stage by doing new and innovative clients and business procedures to really take the, take the bull by the horns here. And that's what you kind of see in the list, too. I'll touch on VML as well. You know, VML, for those of you who don't know, their big client that you probably know them for is all the Wendy's marketing they do. Mm-hmm. So they do the Twitter. They did that awesome Super Bowl ad that talked about McDonald's frozen arches. And I even saw one thing somewhere about how they had an undercover group that was going to different fast food chains to try and find the frozen beef to rescue it, which was hilarious as well. (laughs) So 
again, you've got uh, an agency that's not afraid to help a brand find a kind of a snarky personality that cuts through all this clutter and really shows themselves as unique. Uh, you had a couple on the list you liked too, right? Zach? Yeah, most definitely. Um, and just to kind of preface this, I love all of these agencies on this list. Um, <laughs> and I'm so happy that Widen and Kennedy got number one, just to put in my personal opinion, um, because I absolutely oh, yeah, love them and love the work that they've been doing. And so well-deserved to Widen and Kennedy and their new startup agency, Cowan, is shot to the top of my list as well. So I absolutely love everything that they did this year. Uh, another heavy hitter that got number two was McCann. Oh, yeah. Um, kind of talking about what you just touched on with like the changing environment. McCann's world-famous ad this year was Fearless Girl. Right. Uh, I'm sure almost everyone in the world has at least gotten some sort of inkling as to what Fearless Girl is and what mm. she stands for because she has been so, so successful. And uh, McCann was the agency behind And so to those of you who heard that email, that was actually McCann emailing us right now saying, <laughs> thank you. We appreciate yes, you, McCann, and you exactly, are welcome. That's exactly what it was. Um, so yeah, Fearless Girl has been an <laughs> amazing campaign, and she has cemented herself quite literally into the New York City uh, landscape. She is there to stay now, and that's a very awesome thing Cemented to see, right into the pavement. Um, and a very special thing to, oh, yeah. to be produced by an advertising agency in a completely new way. Like oh, yeah. I don't know if there's ever been an advertising agency that has produced a, a bronze statue. I, I think she's made out of bronze... But yeah, a, a, a tangible statue that has had that much power and that much um, attention drawn to her. Yeah. Um, another thing I wanted to touch on, another one of the agencies on this list that I, I really like um, is Johannes Leonardo. They kind of shut up this year. Mm -hmm. um, but this is just a personal note again because I'm kind of looking through this list and going through it and going, oh my goodness, I love <laughs> some of this. But they do Adidas Originals. And, and they have developed a a few very, very awesome spots for Adidas Originals in the past year. Most notably, though, and they won the uh, Music Grand Prix for this at the Lions, oh, was wow. uh, they remastered Frank Sinatra's My Way what? song and had a bunch of different creators from around the world sing it. That's, and it that's is, awesome. it is a very cool rendition of the song. Uh, it's kind of like a little darker, but it's it's just got such a cool no, tone. And yeah. Johannes Leonardo killed that. That's awesome. Um, and finally, to kind of wrap up, what I wanted to touch on on the A-list was Droga 5. Um, Droga 5 has been killing it for the past, like, 10 years. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if it was quite that long. I don't long, know how long they've been around, just, but they burst onto the scene. Yeah, and they've been doing amazing work. And, and again, they did that this semester. This semester. <laughs> and again, they did that this year. The midterms grind is uh, really catching <laughs> up to Zach here. Yeah, seriously. But they've been doing great work for the past 10 years. And again, this year, they did not disappoint. Mm -hmm. um, they have New York Times has been one of their best clients for the year with the Truth Campaign, which oh, has yeah. been very effective and very powerful. But another another thing I wanted to touch on was how Drug of Five is kind of innovating the agency environment a little bit. Um, so first, they developed their own internal production company called Second Child, which is yeah. going to take on a lot of the production work that they might have had to outsource before. So they're really trying to bring a lot more of that work inside and become more of a holistic agency. And right yeah. on that same trend, this was what I found most interesting is that they actually won a couple clients this year, strictly holding a consultancy role. Yeah, which is super interesting. Yeah, so Droga5 is really starting to develop a holistic agency approach where they can do the advertising work and they can also produce all the advertising work in-house with their production company. But also, they can offer strategic insights through this consultancy role yeah. um, without even needing to do advertising work. And that's something that's generally been limited to the big consultancy firms who ironically oh, yeah. have started to buy up digital agencies right. and now we're seeing droga five step in and say hey well 
we can also do the consulting work and we can we can solve your business problems creatively utilizing the yeah. creative firepower that we have in our office. Well, it's interesting too. I mean, it's funny to me that you choose like holistic as the word because, you know, 20, 30 years ago, oh, the fully integrated agency, right? That was the, the yeah. craze. We can do everything. We've got it all in, in the agency, you know? <laughs> and and now full fully integrated isn't enough because so many new things have come out that now we have to take the holistic approach and add even more, such as mm-hmm. the production side of things and the consulting. And I think that's why Droga and kind of like we mentioned before, Wine and Kendi and all these other agencies made this list was because they were adapting to this new environment where like agencies are at a bit of an inflection point where they have to change how they're doing business in order to stay relevant and to stay in business. And while they were making great stuff, it's important too to be able to offer benefit to their clients in new ways. And that's, so it's kind of cool that Droga 5... It's interesting, like, I'm not sure how I feel about the consulting side of things, Mm -hmm. but we'll see. I mean, obviously, it was part of the reason why they made this list, and it was a part of the reason for their success. So I'm curious to see what happens with that going further. Yeah, most definitely. It's it's seriously shaping up to be a very interesting year for advertising, um, a very interesting year for a lot of the agencies on this list. And in an ever-changing environment, we will will see where it goes. And if nothing else, this will be remembered as the year that... KFC ran out of chicken. <laughs> exactly. And with that, I am Trent. We've got Zach with us as Zach. well. <laughs> and thank you for listening to Solid. Yeah, tune in. Uh, we'll be out next week, but we will be back two weeks from now. So tune in to see Ooh, what we uh, serve break. up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. <laughs>